Um, so what we want to do is continue now in our study of Luke, Luke chapter 12, and we're going to start this study with two brothers fighting, and that is going to open an opportunity for some teaching from our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we bow before you. We're just so thankful to you, Father, for your plan for mankind and giving us understanding of it as we observe these uh, precious holy days. And as we've now completed Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread and we're counting toward the Feast of Pentecost, Father, we continually pray for more understanding and deeper commitment. And we pray, Father, that through this study, you would deepen our commitment to you and to Jesus Christ. We ask your blessing on our study now. In his holy name, amen. Well, let's begin with our study in uh, Luke chapter 12. And we'll continue in verse 13, uh, where we left off. We finished up to verse 12. Uh, it says here in verse 13, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And so there was some dispute that this uh, young, this man, maybe a young man, I would imagine, if uh, he's receiving inheritance, that he, maybe he's the younger of the two brothers, and so the inheritance goes to the older brother, and he feels hard done by. He feels that uh, the brother should share this inheritance with him. And so he goes to uh, the rabbi, the, Jesus Christ, to say, can you please uh, arbitrate? Uh, can you please intervene for me and, and plead my case uh, with my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me? But Christ said to him, man, who made me? a judge or an arbiter over you. And this harkens back to Moses. You'll remember when Moses saw the two uh, Israelite brethren fighting and he couldn't understand why they were fighting each other. And in verse 13 of chapter 2, it says, And when he went out on the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion or your brother? And then he said, this is the Israelite now to Moses, who made you a prince and a judge over you, over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. So even though Moses identified himself with the Israelites and was trying to help them, they didn't accept him. And, and they questioned, who made you a judge over us? And here now you have these Israelites coming to Christ and saying, could you please judge this matter? And Christ quotes this, well, who made me a judge over you? And just reminding them of their stiff neckedness uh, towards the, the law of God. Continuing in verse 15, and he said to him, said to them, so he now uses this dispute between these two brothers over the inheritance as a teaching moment, as a teaching opportunity. And he says to them, based on their, their willingness to fight each other and, and break down the family bond over this uh, worldly inheritance, Christ now uses this as a teaching opportunity. And he said to them, Beware, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. So, be careful, you know, you're fighting over these possessions, but your life isn't in these possessions. And, and don't get confused, don't get your priorities mixed up. Uh, there's much more to your life than what you possess. And so now trying to, you know, wanting to elaborate on this, he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. 
And he thought within himself, so he just did extremely well. He maybe bought the right plot of land, maybe he um, uh, sowed uh, effectively, maybe he had good farming understanding, but for whatever reason, he did extremely well. Maybe there was just great weather that year, who knows, but he did extremely well and he, he yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, so this was his reaction to his bounty. This was his reaction to his newfound gain. And, and you can see how human beings think we're the same today. He thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So you can imagine now he's, he's, he's trying to store everything in his barn and he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm actually running out of room. Uh, what shall I do? I have no room to store everything. So he said, I will do this. So he doesn't say, so it's very interesting, you know, he, he, he doesn't say, you know, I have so much, uh, let me share with my brethren. Uh, I, I have plenty, I see others who don't have need, or, or who have need, I have more than what I need. Let me go ahead and share uh, this abundance with my brethren. No, his focus is solely on himself. He says here, um, what shall I do? And this is, you know, there's these two brothers were fighting over their inheritance. And instead of the older brother being more than happy to share what he has, he has this attitude of wanting to hoard it all to himself. So Christ is saying to the younger brother, beware, your life does not consist of the abundance of things that you possess. Your brother, your brother may be doing well, or he may think he's doing well. He has lots of possessions, but you need to focus on what I'm teaching you. And what I'm teaching you is the kingdom of God. And you need to commit yourself to the kingdom of God. And whatever your brother has, whether he shares that with you or not, this is really irrelevant. Your focus should be on the kingdom of God. So he warns them and he says, uh, beware that uh, it's not in the things you possess. So this man now is looking at his possessions and he's wondering what he shall do. He has, he has no place to, uh, to store his crops. So he's wondering what to do with all of his possessions. So he says, uh, what shall I do? What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said to himself, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. So, so it's really interesting that his solution uh, to this is simply to pull down his barns and build even bigger barns so that he can store everything. Uh, so he says, um, I will build greater and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So you, there's a lot of people who think like this. Their, their focus is solely on this life, on this world. And, and amassing wealth in this world. And, and clearly, by, by analogy, the older brother of these two brothers that are in conflict is thinking like this, that it's all about this world and this life, and he really has no vision of what's coming. And Christ is using this as an opportunity to teach his disciples and this young man who, who is asking for help in the dispute to have a bigger vision, a vision of what is real, what is true and what is real, and what is the outcome, what is the result of people who do not prioritize the kingdom of God. And so he says here, uh, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. It's all taken care of. 
You're, you know, we're all good for, for maybe for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, today, maybe we're not agricultural, but we have bank accounts, we have investments, uh, we have uh, wealth in, in various forms. And, and we believe that, you know what, I'm good. I'm, I'm well looked after. And we're not thinking of, of sharing, of looking after others. Our, our, our wealth really is wrapped up in, in looking after ourselves. And he says here, so I'm going to say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. You, you can relax now. Uh, eat, drink, and be merry. But we don't have control over our lives. God said to him, fool, you, you idiot, you fool. Tonight, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So this is something that can happen to any of us. None of us can shield ourselves from death. None of us can shield ourselves from a sudden uh, misfortune with our health, uh, whether through injury or, or a disease that we don't even know is coming upon us, um, or death. We don't have control over this. And so to, to set our lives up in such a way that we only care about what is going on for us in this life, this is a big, big mistake. This is a temporary life that can end at any moment. We need to be thinking eternally. What, what is our status with God through eternity? And this man, wasn't, this man wasn't thinking of this at all. And in fact, the brother was getting caught up in this kind of thinking as well. And so, fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. You're going to die tonight. Then when you die, even though you were only thinking of yourself, all this wealth that you've amassed... Whose, whose will those things be for which you've provided? So you, you should have been thinking of others. You were only thinking of yourself. And now it's going to go to others. The, the inheritance will be passed on maybe to the next brother, the same brother that you were fighting that you wouldn't share anything with. Now that you're going to die, all of it's going to go to him anyway. And uh, so he says, so is he who, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So really, the question we need to be asking is, where is our treasure? Are we, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy, but are you wealthy toward God? And if we're wealthy toward God, then we're going to manage our wealth in this world wisely. We're going to be thinking of others. We're going to have a charitable heart. We're going to be willing to share with others. But if, we, if we're not rich toward God, that's going to manifest itself with a significant degree of self-centeredness and selfishness. And uh, here he says now in verse 22, then he said to his disciples, so he was teaching everybody broadly, and now he turns to his disciples and he says to them, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. So our lives are in God's hands. So he's now, so first he was teaching, uh, he was teaching the, the multitude, everyone around, including the, the, the two brothers that came or the brother that came uh, for him to resolve this dispute. Now, so he takes that dispute as a teaching moment for everybody, but now he turns to his disciples, whom he has been teaching uh, privately, part of his inner circle. And so to the inner circle, he says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. And this is coming on the heels of what he said at the beginning of chapter 12, that do not fear those who can kill the body. But after they've done that, that's all they can do. It's also coming on the heels of the Lord's Prayer where he teaches us how to pray, or he teaches his disciples how to pray, and how to have this kingdom focus 
in our prayers and in our outlook rather than the way most people think is to have a focus on this world and this world only. At any time, we can lose our lives. And so it's important that we are rich towards God. So he says, So therefore I say to you, my disciples, so to us by extension, do not, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. So he says, uh, do not worry about this. Nor about the body, what you will put on. So just don't worry about these things. Life, and now we're talking about real life, because the life that we're living now is governed by death. At any moment, death can come upon any one of us. So we're really focused on life. Life means living forever. If we don't have eternal life, then we really don't have life. We have this temporary existence. But eternal life, real life, is more than food. And the body, it's more than clothing. It's much more than clothing. There's another body that we're going to be given, which is a glorious body. And that's the body we really need to be striving toward and focusing on. And so remember now, in, in Luke 4, what Christ said after he had dis- defeated, the, or as he was defeating Satan, is that it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. This is how we live, by every word of God. And so if we're rich toward God, it means that we're living by every word of God. And that's what Christ did as he came. The reason he was able to conquer what Satan was trying to do as he succeeded with Adam, as he succeeded with Israel, is to divert them from the word of God, to get them to break God's word. And therefore, they could not access eternal life. Christ came from heaven to earth specifically with the purpose to obtain eternal life for Israel. And so in order to do that, he had to live by every word of God. And that's, that's what he fulfilled. And this now, now that he's done it and led the way, he's the author of our salvation, he's the pioneer of our salvation, we must now follow in his footsteps. And we must now live by every word of God. And that's how we become rich toward God. Continuing then in Luke 12, in verse 24, he says to us here, to consider the ravens. He says, think about the ravens. These are God's creation. They neither sow nor reap. They, they neither sow nor reap, and which they don't have any storehouse or barn. So this, this brother is saying, I'm going to build a new barn and to store everything. But look at the ravens. They don't have a storehouse. They don't have a barn. And God feeds them. And this is how he wants his disciples to think, that we are his, his precious creation. And if he looks after the ravens, he's going to look after us. He says, of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, so if you now are are worried, which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So, you know, you can worry all you want, but can you make yourself taller? Can, Can you look at your body and say, you know what, I'm not as tall as I'd like to be, so I'm going to make myself taller? We can't do this. So, so he's saying to us, you know, uh, if you can't do that, then you really just depend on God. So which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? So if you can't control your own body, your own creation, why are you worried about things that you have absolutely no control over? You, you, you can't control anything else, but God controls everything. 
So if you're being recruited, if you're a disciple of God and you're being recruited into this uh, kingdom purpose, you've got to understand how special you are to God and that even the hair on your heads, even the hairs on your head, hopefully you don't have multiple heads, uh, the hair on your head is numbered and God is completely aware of everything about you. And so he's saying, don't be like this fool who's fighting over his worldly inheritance because he just wants to make sure that he is taken care of. And we see people like this every day. They're just completely consumed with themselves and they have no control over themselves. God can take their soul at any time. And so if we, have, if we don't have this control, then let's just relinquish this control to our loving Father, who we know has total control. And so this is what he wants us as disciples to understand. And then he goes on to say that, you know, not only should we, um, so, so if you cannot add anything to your stature, if you're not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? So first we're to consider the ravens, consider the birds, how they don't have a storehouse. They don't have a barn. They're not worried about building a bigger barn. And yet every single day they're looked after. Then he tells us from there to look at, to look at the lilies, consider. To consider now means to ponder, to meditate upon the lilies, how they grow. And they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon, King Solomon, in all his glory, when he actually had all the, the kingly robes on, and was there to really present himself as the glorious king of Israel. Maybe he's entertaining uh, foreign guests. That when you see uh, Solomon in all his glory, he was not arrayed like one of these. So he goes on to say now, If then God so clothed the grass, which today is in the field, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven. So that's it. Like when, when, when this grass is thrown in the oven... That is the end of the existence of that grass. How much more will he clothe you who have eternal life in you, you who will have the Holy Spirit, who will be going into the kingdom of God and existing with God forever? How much more will God look after you? How much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith. And and consistently or or repeatedly, Through the scriptures, we see Christ grieving over the lack of faith of his disciples. And this is something that we need to learn to pray for each other, that we will develop this deep faith in God, this deep trust in our Father. And remember in in Luke, as he was teaching the disciples to pray in verse 11, he, he reminds us that, you know, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish... Will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? And so we need to just trust God. Don't don't worry. Whatever happens, if we are in this kingdom purpose, if we are part of this Christian army that is proclaiming the word of God, whatever comes to us, our Father is watching over us. And for some of us, we will have to face hardship, but see beyond this life. You see, the kingdom people are not caught up with what they see in this world. And they they trust their loving Father. Look how God dresses the lilies. Look how he dresses the lilies. And and they only exist for a very brief moment in time. And then they go out of existence. They, They never come back into existence. We, on the other hand, 
even if we die, we are coming back into existence and we are coming back into existence forever. And so whatever happens, we have this forever view. We, we, we are looking through the lens of eternity, not like this brother who was fighting with his younger brother over his inheritance. We, and, and Christ is telling the younger brother, look through the lens of eternity. Look through the lens of the kingdom of God. Continuing in Luke 12. And do not seek. This is now a command. This is in the imperative. Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink. Nor have an anxious mind. So, so it's easy to just get anxious. That's what this younger brother did. He sees all the inheritance going to the older brother. He's now wondering, well, how will I survive? But Christ is really saying to him, if you're one of my disciples, if, you are, if you've been recruited into the army of God, if you are part of this, this army that is proclaiming the kingdom, and you are, you are preparing for life in the kingdom, don't have this anxiety. So don't be like your brother who's just only calculating what goes on in this life. Instead, have this kingdom view and be at peace. For all these things, the nations of the world seek after. So again, there, there's this uh, conflict between uh, two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Satan, or there, there's Satan, the god of this world, and all the kingdoms of this world. Remember in Luke 4, he offered all the kingdoms of this world to Christ. So all the kingdoms of this world are under Satan. And now Christ comes down from heaven to introduce the kingdom of God, something that Israel should have done, something that Adam should have done, but he failed, something that Israel should have done, but they failed. And now Christ is coming to ensure that this gets done. And in, indeed, it got done because Christ lived by every word of God. And so he is now, and that's what he said in Luke 4 when he quoted Isaiah, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so that was signaling to them that the kingdom of God is now upon you. And that's why he was doing all the healing. That's why he was releasing the oppressed. He was exercising. He was uh, looking after everybody, all the Israelites that came to him for either healing or to be released from the bondage of the devil, to give them this preview of the kingdom of God and to let them know that the kingdom of God has come upon them. So here he says then, these are the, 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 the nations, and they can, they, can, um, they can dress themselves up with religious talk, they can dress themselves up with religious garb, and they can, they can try to sound spiritual. But what we'll see in all of these uh, false religions is a hoarding of wealth, a way of taxing people, a way of extracting wealth from people, and, and, and building up uh, their, their treasures. Even, even um, you know, you look at uh, Fidel Castro, who clearly was very uh, secular, atheist, uh, communist, and, and, you know, we, we need wealth for uh, the people. We, we need to, everybody uh, needs to share in the wealth. We can't have a capitalist system where only a few are wealthy and, and a lot are poor. We need to make sure that everyone is looked after and, and wealth is distributed equally. Well, when he died, the Cuban people were impoverished. And he died with a personal wealth of under a, just under a billion dollars, 900-something million uh, U.S. dollars. So, so how did that work out? And so whether it's religion or politics or whatever it is, the, the human being is like that older brother in the dispute. We hoard wealth. We want to look after ourselves. We don't really care about others. 
And so this, this, this then, you know, these people build up these nations and all they want is tax and money and wealth. And Christ is saying, that's what these nations seek after. But we are part of a new kingdom. We, we, it is a op- completely uh, pol- polar opposite way of thinking and being. And so we cannot be like the nations of this world. And your father knows that you need these things. So this is why we pray uh, here in Luke 11. Remember when he taught us the Lord's Prayer, he's giving us this kingdom focus, but he's also saying to us, pray like this. Give us day by day our daily bread. So we need this manna. Uh, Give us our bread each day. Look after us. So now we don't have to worry. We've asked for it. It's in God's hands. He knows we need it. We need to keep our focus on performing the will of God. He says here, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. And now this is where, again, abuse can enter into the Christian world. And in fact, it does. From this, we get the the health and wealth gospel, where people are saying, you know, if you sow into me, you know, uh, touch, touch your screen, touch your computer screen and pray with me and send me your money. And for every hundred dollars that you send me, God is going to send you a thousand. And if you send me a thousand, God is going to send you ten thousand. So go ahead and, and, and send me all your money. This is hoarding. This is, the na- this is an extension of Satan's kingdom where people are now using the name of Christ to extract money from you. No, this is not the way we think at all. So he says, you know, these things shall be added. He didn't say when. In fact, when they will be added, categorically and without any doubt, is when we inherit the kingdom. So we have to really let go of this world, trust God that he'll give us what we need in this world. But this is Satan's world. And our entire focus is on Christ's world, when Christ ushers in his kingdom. And certainly if we read here in Romans 8, verse 16, that the spirit himself or itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We are the children of God. We have eternity in us. And if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. In other words, everything that Christ inherits, and Colossians tells us that all things were created for him, So everything that he inherits, we inherit it with him. So all these things will be added to us for sure, no doubt about it. We are joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. So in this life, we may be deprived. In this life, we may suffer. Indeed, all those who desire to live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. So if we're thinking, oh, I'm going to live godly in Christ, and now all kinds of wealth is going to be added to me, how disappointed we will be when we face deprivation for the name of Christ. And we may even be willing then to forsake Christ because we're thinking we should be blessed. We should get that new home. We should get that new car. We should get that flat screen TV. We should get that new gadget. And so if we're deprived, we're shocked. But we should have the mindset that God knows what we need and our focus is on the kingdom. And when we are in the kingdom, we will inherit everything with Christ. But on a day-to-day basis, we trust God to give us what we need. And whatever he gives us, we're, we're happy and we're grateful. The cup is always half full, never half empty. So he says, uh, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Do not fear, little flock. Don't be afraid. So again, fear, faith and fear don't dwell together. It's, it's one or the other. Either we're fearful or we're faithful. And so we just, and, and he grieved over and over about the lack of faith. So let us not grieve our Lord. Let us have that full cup of faith in, in our Father and in Christ. So do not fear. Don't be afraid, little flock. So notice that this verse comes on the heels 
of all these things will be added to you. And then he says, do not fear little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So clearly we should have this view that we will inherit everything with Christ in the kingdom. And whatever happens in this life, with it, in, in Satan's world, it's fine. We're satisfied. We're, we, we don't expect anything. Anything that we do receive, uh, we're happy with it. And we know that God is going to look after us day by day. But we will inherit all things with Christ. And, and God wants to give us the kingdom. It's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Then he says to his disciples, sell what you have and give alms. So we have this brother. The passage begins with this brother who's selfishly hoarding. Then, then Christ goes into the parable to say what kind of mindset this is, where, you know what? I've, I've got so much. I, I, I'm, I'm looked after for the next 10, 20, 25, 40, 50 years. I'm looked after. I'm good. Let's see. What shall I do? I'll, I'll break down the barns that I have, and I'll build even bigger so I can store everything so I can look after myself. That's the natural mindset. And Christ is saying we cannot have that mindset. Have the opposite. Sell what you have and look after others. Think of others, knowing that God is going to look after you. Provide for yourselves money bags which do not grow old. So, so focus on, the again, that looking through the lens of the kingdom. Focus on the long-term view. We're playing the long game, not the short game. Uh, provide for yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. So even if he built these big barns, you know, he's going to create envy all around. And people could break into those barns, they could set them on fire, they could steal, whatever. Uh, but here, this treasure, if we are rich towards God, if we're living by every word of God, n- no thief can, can approach this. And no moth can destroy this wealth. Now, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's just natural. So this brother, again, the passage opens up with the brother uh, complaining about his older brother not sharing the inheritance. Well, that older brother's heart is in his wealth, his physical wealth. And when he dies, he's completely cut off from God. So the advice to the younger brother is, is build your treasure toward the kingdom. Because as you see yourself building your treasure towards the kingdom, and Daniel tells us, those who turn many to righteousness shall shine like the stars in heaven. And, and, and Christ tells us that uh, no man lights a, a lamp and puts it under a bushel. No, if he, if he lights the lamp, he puts it so that others can see it, so others can see the way. And so as you see the Holy Spirit working in you and, and God using you to turn others to righteousness, you begin realizing, wow, I, I'm creating richness toward God. I'm creating wealth toward God. God promises that as I turn many to righteousness, I'm going to shine like the stars in heaven. And so you begin to get excited about, about what you're going to inherit with Christ. But if we're living hypocritically, if we're not really building towards God, if we're not building this wealth, then we don't really care. We, we don't really care. We, we, we care about our wealth here. We're checking our bank accounts and we're checking our investment portfolio. And that's where our, our treasure is. So we must be rich towards God. And again, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with wealth. Wealth is good. Wealth is energy. We can do a lot with wealth if we have the right heart. And the problem with the older brother is his heart was, was selfish. His heart was corrupted and he only cared about himself. Uh, so here, what God wants is that we look after others. And even this advice here in verse 33 
where he's saying, sell what you have and give alms. Uh, I don't think necessarily that that applies to us today, right now. It may in the near future, but it certainly applied to the disciples, that the apostles that were with Christ and that had to be an extension of his ministry. So for them, they needed to sell everything, give alms, and, and focus on proclaiming this gospel message. For us, we need to be balanced. And we need to make sure that we are tithing faithfully, we're bringing our offerings to God faithfully, and we're looking after those who have need. The, the scripture says to work hard so that you have, so that you can share with others, rather than being like a thief who, who's coveting what others have. So now we come to this very interesting passage in verse 35, uh, which in, in the New King James it says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. I think in the in the old in the uh, original King James, it says, "Gird up your loins." And uh, Pastor Murray, who's who, who's joined us this evening, he gave a sermon on this topic. What what does it mean to gird up your loins? And it's something that I didn't understand. And when he gave the sermon, it, it just I, my eyes opened. Like now I understood what that means to gird up your loins. And so I've asked him to join us tonight to uh, share with us what this means. Uh, to gird up your loins. Absolutely, and that uh, and that we are very
trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. And you've touched on that throughout the last couple of studies with the power of the adversary uh, trying to, uh, to successfully convincing Adam to, to give up his, his seat as a king priest and follow, follow the adversary. Uh, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So he's reminding us what we used to be like before we, we made this commitment, before we had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and how we served ourselves, served our own fears, and really uh, we, are, we remain in a battle of wills. And even though we've been made a new person in Christ, the adversary still has not given up the hunt for us. And in fact, as it points out, it points out here, he works in people. He works with people who have committed their life to a life of disobedience to work against us. And Paul continues and points out there that we used to be like them, mm-hmm. where he points out just as the others. But we know we are called, as we talked about that last week when we talked about the difference between holy and common. We are called to be holy. We are called not to be just as the others are. And the Holy Spirit helps us to overcome our natural inclinations to focus on ourselves. As human beings, and uh, you've rightly pointed that out in in previous studies, we just naturally want to serve ourselves, serve our own fears, serve our our own desires. And the adversary never, ever gives up this battle for our minds. And it sort of uh, speaks to me, Murray, in the sense of why we can be merciful to others, because in a sense, they have no choice. They've been captured by the devil. Their minds have been taken over, programmed by the devil. We have to see beyond the human being and realize that we wrestle not with flesh and blood. That's very true, and that that really helps us have a spirit of mercy when we realize there really is only one adversary, and that is Satan, the devil. Uh, Everybody else is just a tool uh, that he has captured and who, who he uses to uh, in this battle for will. Um, continuing on, uh, let's go to First Peter chapter 1. And as we're turning there, I would just like to set up the context for what Peter really has, is, is saying here in his first epistle. And, and remind everybody that he was writing to persecuted Christians who had fled from Jerusalem. This is called the dispersion or the diaspora. And this was the reason for the intensity of this letter. He was writing to these folks that had fled Jerusalem in the midst of persecution, and they were continuing to go through persecution. And he tells them here in, in uh, uh, verse 13 of First Peter 1, lost my place here, First Peter 1, verse 13, to be prepared to battle for the control of the mind. Be prepared to battle for the control of the mind. And in, when we're talking about the control of the mind, it's really where our hearts and our minds are focused. Are we focused on the kingdom, or are we mm-hmm. focused on ourselves? Mm-hmm. And before I read First Peter, I'd like to go to that slide that, that describes really what good in your mind
see if there's sound. Yeah, so now there's sound on this. Um, just give me a second here and I'll just see what's happening. I don't know why we're not getting sound on that one slide. It should be here. Uh, yeah, that looks like it's sound now. So uh, we looks like we have sound now. Okay. I'll, just, I'll just wait for confirmation. Um, sure. Let's just wait till we get confirmation on this slide. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I think I think we're good now. Okay, go ahead. So you sorry, just just go back again, uh, Murray. To uh, this tunic is what the way they would dress commonly, and you were saying that it would actually interfere with uh, some activities. Correct. Yeah, very very limited movement. Um, I, as you can imagine, and again, as I mentioned, the uh, our sisters who wear uh, dresses and shirts would be able to attest to uh, how uh, long form garments like that would inhibit movement. So this was a way for them to to. Uh, uh, prepare themselves for battle, prepare themselves for, for the movement that battle, that battle would require by basically hiking up the, the loose flooring, uh, splitting it into two, wrapping it around, and then tucking it into a front sash, uh, which pretty much would then, as you see in the sixth slide there, the sixth part of the picture there, it now becomes uh, almost like shorts, that the long form gun now becomes shorts, mm -hmm. and is, they are completely free to move at will. Uh, to face whatever uh, whatever battles there are, and that's how the the warriors uh, during during this time uh, would would operate. And it was certainly a, an analogy that Christ jumped on when he uh, and used in order to to help us understand our need to prepare for battle. So, so Peter. So, so Peter was receiving this instruction from Christ. He fully got it. And now he's passing it on to his his disciples. Correct. He's passing it on, and, and again, similar sort of context and um, as what Christ was trying to convey here. These are persecuted Christians who are are battling this fear, battling this uh, this battle of wills between their own their own fear versus keeping their their, their minds and, and focus on the kingdom of God. And Peter says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, you know, sorry, sorry, Murray, that, that sounds like exactly what Christ was talking to them about in, in Luke 12. Absolutely. Yeah, forget about yourselves and keep your, keep your focus on the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And whatever, whatever it takes for us to, to uh, make it there, that is, what, that is where our focus needs to be. Yes. Forget about the, the pain, forget about uh, uh, personal hardship. We'll, we will need to go through that. Mm -hmm. And it's, 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 it's limited pain for a small amount of time in order to receive the glory that, that will come with the, the kingdom of God. He, he continues in verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. So again, calling to mind what we've talked about but that there is a difference between being holy, being called out to follow God and follow Christ, and being what we used to be, which is just like everybody else. Just like the older uh, brother there who received the inheritance, and he's just lusting over it. In fact, both of them were lusting over it uh, in their ignorance of the kingdom of God. 
Absolutely. And again, they are simply victims of the adversary, as we all were at one point. Mm-hmm. And, and we must be merciful and, and want to. Part of the reason that we want to, to battle here is so that we can, uh, we can show others who are victims of the adversary that there is a better way to live. Um, continuing on, but as he, verse 15, who called you as holy, you also be holy in your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Mm-hmm. So this girding up the loins of your mind is, is not about physical battle, but it's about the, the battle of the mind. Mm-hmm. And, and being ready to, to, uh, uh, tap into the Holy Spirit to help us maintain, can maintain our focus on the kingdom and, and not, not succumb to, to the, the, the battle the adversary, Satan the devil, wants to control our, control us. Um, is our focus on the kingdom or is it or is it on ourselves? Right. Uh, we do this as we talked about last week by remembering that we have been called to be different. We've been called to be to be holy. We used to be like everyone else. So it never really mattered what we did before. But it matters now. And we've just come through the Passover and the Feast of Open Bread where we are reminded of the need to be different, the need to be holy. And uh, because, for one reason only, because Christ died for us, therefore we must be different, therefore we must be holy. And as we are now in the pre-Pentecost period that is known as the Feast of Weeks, it becomes all the more important that we need to build off of the momentum we gained during the festival season last week and continue to put off the old person and put on the mind of Christ in preparation for Pentecost, where we rehearse the birth of the church and the distribution of the Holy Spirit. And we ask why. Why is this all, why is this important? So why do we rehearse this? So that we do not succumb to the adversary in this battle of our mind. It's all about this battle of will, this battle uh, for us to maintain focus on the kingdom and not succumb to our own, to following the adversary where he'll tap into our fears and tap into our pain, tap into our hurt. So now the question becomes, what can we do to prepare? How do we gird up the lines of our minds? And that's where we go back to Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, where he talks about the armor of God. And, that, and we'll, we'll, we'll quickly go there in Ephesians 6. In verse 10, where Paul, already having spoken to us back in chapter 2 about the, this adversary that is that will continue to try to control us. Finally, my brethren, so he puts a stamp on this letter to, to the brethren in Ephesus, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Christ as we'll see, as we'll see later, he can gird up his own, his own. Uh, he can gird himself because he is God. We, we don't have that advantage. We need to take advantage and of the, the blessing, the gift of the Holy Spirit, to 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 tap into that strength. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Other by ourselves, without the Holy Spirit. We're, we are fodder for Satan. We are fodder for Satan, and we and we can just look back at our past lives and, and see and see that. 
Uh, he continues, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is not a physical battle. This is these aren't physical warriors that, that uh, we're talking about here. Christ is taking this up a notch. But against principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, because because this is such a, a, a key battle for us, take up the whole armor of God, all of it, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So there will come a time when we will be accountable for what we know and we will need to stand up for that. It may not be now, but we need to prepare now while, while we are living a somewhat more easy lifestyle. Put on that armor, armor of God now. Prepare our minds for those decisions. Make, make the decision, make the big decisions now to stand up for God, never betray Christ. So then he gets into, goes into this, this armor of God, and he starts out off with, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. So we've seen what girding your bones, girding your waist means. It's preparing for battle. Mm -hmm. And as we see here, it's preparing your mind for battle here. Mm -hmm. But it begins with girding your waist, and we gird it with truth. Why do we gird it with truth? Because the truth sets us free. Mm -hmm. We discussed how girding, how girding frees us from restrictions and allows us to focus on battle. We take that physical analogy and now apply it to this battle of wills, and the truth of God frees us from conflict. There's no debate on what we can or can't do. There's no debate on what we should or shouldn't do. It, it becomes very clear. We're, well, there are no restrictions. There, there is no conflict. It, it is easy to know what we need to do. Knowing what to do, knowing what is right, what is expected of us, and that lies at the end for us. And that's, that's the key. Knowing that at the end of all this, regardless of whatever little bit of pain and temporary discomfort we have to go through, is the kingdom of God. This gives us all we need to endure, mm -hmm. to stand up for what is right, and to be proactive for God. And we see that the very first thing we put on is truth, because the truth sets us free. Beautiful. And then he continues on through with the, the other aspects of the armor of God. For time's sake, I'll let, you, I'll let uh, the folks go through that for themselves, and, and might be uh, worth a study sometime in the future. But I'd like to drop down to verse 17 and see that to prepare for battle we, and we, we take into context that we have one offensive weapon and that is the word of God take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God so the sword of the spirit the only offensive weapon here is the word of God and that is the source of all truth so we, we gird up our loins we prepare ourselves for battle with truth and that truth comes from the Word of God, which makes these studies that we're going through continue to study the Word of God and, and, and reap, reap the wisdom from Christ all the more important. As, as time continues on and as, as these days approach, studying our Bibles and, and getting into that and, and becoming strong in the Word becomes all the more important. They, Peter and Paul, they heard Christ preach this, but they really, really got it once they went through all of their trials and persecutions. And they were there for those who now needed the encouragement and the, and the stability and the strength that came from their experience. And that's what we need to, to do as well. As we, gain, as we gain experience, we gain strength and stability. We can be there for others and encourage them through their trials and, and persecution as well. That's and that's really, uh, back to Luke chapter 12, that is really what, what uh, 
Christ had in mind here when he was encouraging them to let their waist be girded or to give up their Lord, their loins. That's brilliant. And, and again, as you're talking, I'm just seeing again this collision between these two kingdoms. We have the, the kingdom of God uh, and also the kingdom of Satan. And we are in battle against the kingdom of Satan. And, and we should not be deceived. We should not be fooled. We should not be distracted. We should be totally kingdom focused. And as you were talking, uh, Brother Murray, about the, the word of God, uh, being that sort of the spirit. The word of God is a living word. And you were saying that we have to be studying. We have to be studying because what comes out of the word today is not the same as what would come out of the word 10 years ago. And so if we studied, you know, oh yeah, I've read the Gospel of Luke. I read it 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And we're not reading it today. We're not getting the life-giving force that can come out of the word of God today. And so I think I, I love what you said there, that uh, the, the, the truth sets us free. And so here he says, you know, not only should we um, gird up our loins and, and be ready, ready for that battle, but also our lamps need to be burning. And so that combination of being those lamps that God can put on display and because we're on display, to understand that we're engaged in battle, though those wolves are going to come, and so our, 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 our loins need to be girded and ready for battle. And in fact, as we just can wrap up here, um, this girding the loins also harkens back to the original Passover, where, he, where, where they had to eat the Passover with their loins girded. So thus shall you eat it with a belt on your waist and sandals on your feet and staff in your hand. So shall you eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So that um, belt on your waist is your loins girded. And so not only is it uh, loins girded for battle, but it's also loins girded, ready to run, ready to run into and and flee Egypt, the, the kingdom of Satan, and flee toward the promised land. So we need to be that kingdom ready. We're kingdom ready uh, so that as soon as it's time to to um, inherit the kingdom, we're ready. It's not like, oh, is it time to inherit the kingdom? Oh, I don't have oil in my lamp and uh, my, my, my loins aren't girded. I, I need to be ready. No, they needed to be ready and, and ready to move in haste. And that's, again, to have this this uh, kingdom focus. And again, the reminder that when our, when our lamp is lit, God is going to put it on a, a lampstand so that it can give light to all. And in terms of this Passover, I gave a sermon on the last day of unleavened bread um, on the second exodus. And, and uh, to really understand this loins girded and, and the allusion to the exodus and, and the second exodus which is coming, I'll post this sermon for those that are interested um, on understanding the second exodus. And a lot of people come to me and tell me afterward they had never heard of the second exodus. And, uh, and so that would be very helpful to understand that. So he says here, uh, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. So, so the loins girded is, is the battle that uh, Pastor Murray explained to us, but it's also this readiness of mind, ready to take the kingdom well, when, when the master comes. When he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they're ready. They may open to him immediately. So that's, again, the first Passover. They were ready. So when it's time to flee Egypt and, and go towards the promised land, they would be ready. And we need to have this, this readiness, whereas the older brother, um, to, you know, his soul was required of him and he wasn't ready. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he, that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat 
and will come and serve them. And I don't know, Pastor Moore, if you wanted to just comment on that uh, verse at all with the, the master himself will gird himself. Sure. A few things come to mind when we read that. Again, as I mentioned, as we were closing up the Ephesians 6 portion, um, we see that, that Christ here, can A, he can gird himself. This tells us that he can gird himself because he is God. Mm. Um, we, we can't. And, and Paul admonished us to, to lean on the Holy Spirit and to, to tap into that power. The, the, a couple other things that come to mind as we read that is Christ's entire focus is the marriage feast. He is readying himself for his bride, who is us. And he wants us to equally uh, ready ourselves for the groom. Those of us who have been married and have gone through, through the, the wedding process, we can, can uh, remember the anticipation from both sides and how it was, a, it was a long process to get ready. Everything had to be just perfect for, for our wedding. How much more perfect and ready should we be for the marriage feast? Um, and the, the other, another, another thing that we see here as well is Christ's mindset is one of service. Right. As, as he prepares himself for his wedding to his bride, he is all about girding himself to serve us. And this really calls to mind um, uh, the, the Passover he kept uh, with his disciples yes. where the, the covenant symbols were changed where he said, I desire to eat this and will not again until the kingdom of God. He is looking forward to eating again with his bride. And, and he is so focused on this marriage feast. We must, if we have this same focus, the battle of minds is one. There will be there will be no issue. We will tap into that Holy Spirit. Our minds will be girded. We'll be ready and waiting, like like He expected uh, Old Testament Israel at the first Passover, as you've mentioned. So, if we prepare ourselves, maintain control of our minds, and completely focus on this marriage supper, the, the kingdom of God, we will partake of that feast with our Master. But it requires complete focus and being prepared at all times, so that when He is ready. And again, where, where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be. So if our loins are girded and we're completely focused on the kingdom of God and we're just ready I, th- I think there's a lot I think when I was younger and not married I was sort of had this uh, desire to get married and was hoping the kingdom wouldn't come too soon so that I'd have time to be married uh, we, we, we really have to have this focus where if the kingdom does come suddenly we're ready and that's where the loins are girded for battle and also this readiness to take the kingdom and so just finishing off here uh, Murray says verse 38 and I loved what you said about his his service mindset Uh, clearly you see that there then in verse 38 and if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so blessed are those servants so again going back to the older brother where the passage began who was just amassing wealth for himself and then when his soul was required of him he was completely unready Uh, whereas for us our our loins are girded and and when he comes we're not sure when he comes he's coming like a thief in the night and so we don't know when he'll come when when the kingdom will be upon us and when everything's just going to unravel suddenly uh, and really we see this uh, tribulation coming first but it's going to come suddenly whether it's in the second watch or the third watch when it comes our loins are girded and if he finds us this way we are blessed eternally blessed but know this i I would actually if i can just jump in quickly i I, I would take it even one step further and say our mindset you know come whenever you want i'm I'm ready yeah exactly exactly right right on that's the kingdom mindset uh this is but know this that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come so again the elder brother who had all of this inheritance he didn't know when the thief was coming 
Uh, and so, and so, if we had known, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would not have. He would have watched, and not allowed his house to be broken into. So, you know, we've got to be building our house on Christ, on the rock. And so, whenever he comes, we're watching. Our loins are girded. Our lamps are burning, and we are just ready. We're just so kingdom consumed, so kingdom focused. We are just ready. And so he says here, therefore, you also be ready. So we want to be like this good householder who's keeping watch because he knows the thief is coming. He just doesn't know when. We know the kingdom is coming. It's real. It's, it's real. It's reality. It's coming. We just don't know when. Uh, we know this tribulation is coming. We just don't know when. And so we're watching, we're seeing the signs, our loins are girded, our lamps are burning, therefore you also be ready. The Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That is quite a warning, Uh, Pastor Murray, that's quite a warning to say he is coming. This whole day of the Lord and this whole unraveling of Satan's kingdom and the establishment of Christ's kingdom, it's all going to happen very suddenly. And those who are ready are ready. And they're going to, we're going to enter into the kingdom. And if those who are not ready, well, their soul is going to be required of them suddenly. And uh, unfortunately, that's going to end in disaster. Absolutely. And we can't say, we can never say we weren't warned. Exactly. We can never say we weren't warned. We can never say we didn't have resources available to us to help us build up our spiritual strength and our spiritual resources. Uh, Pastor Murray, I want to thank you so much for, for joining us tonight. I, I apologize to you for the technical difficulties. I apologize to our, our viewing audience for the technical difficulties. We are not uh, some sort of multi-million dollar corporation that has multiple resources doing all of this. This is really uh, spirit-led and, and kind of a one-man band here on the technical side. Uh, so please pray for us. Uh, help us to make use of this technology effectively and uh, help us as we proclaim this kingdom and, and, and nourish the, those who are interested and want to understand the, the word of God that we're able to do so. Uh, Pastor Murray, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, brethren, thanks for joining us. I will post uh, the link to this sermon, uh, the second Exodus, which is a, uh, critical for us to understand. It's throughout the scriptures and it really helps us have this uh, kingdom focus. I'll post that on Facebook and I'll post it in the chat as well. And Pastor Murray, I hope you'll uh, join me on the chat now as we uh, exchange a few words with the brethren. Uh, so brethren, our Lord is coming. The kingdom of God is real. There's two, pe- there's two kinds of people. There are the kingdom ready people whose loins are girded, as Pastor Murray explained to us all what that means. Our minds are ready uh, to, to do battle and to take the kingdom. And our lamps are burning so that God can set us on a, on, on a lampstand and give light and show uh, where, where the truth can be found. And then there are those who are distracted by the cares of this world, and they allow the cares of this world to choke them. We cannot afford to be in that camp. So let us make sure that our loins are girded, our lamps are burning, and we're looking forward to the kingdom of our Lord and Savior. And let's now continue to count towards the Feast of Pentecost and celebrate this first fruits harvest. Uh, Good night, one and all. We'll see you on the chat for those of you who can join. Jesus Christ is our God. He's our King. He's our husband. May he bless you, bless us as we count towards Pentecost. God bless and good night.